good afternoon or good evening. Welcome, welcome, my good people, to another episode of Everybody Loves Bliss. Uh, we are in still our fifth season, and this is, I think, my fourth show of this season. Oh, and we are still quarantined, some of us, some of us, uh, definitely still dealing with the corona pandemic. Uh, and, um, not only are we this week dealing with the Corona pandemic, we are dealing with some other issues that seem to, uh, for some of us, especially for those of us that are melanated, these issues never seem to leave us alone. And, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about some unfortunate, um, but seemingly persistent current events that keep happening with us. We're going to talk about, uh, the Ahmad Arbery and Sean Reed cases. And tonight I have two gentlemen joining me in on this conversation. Uh, two fantastic uh, men who I'm happy to introduce and reintroduce to you. Um, the first gentleman I have on the line is uh, Jefferson Russell. Jefferson, I'm going to do some sound checks in between just because I'm going to let the audience know we have had a time just getting this this podcast started. Jefferson, you are still there just just checking in you are okay and uh just so my audience gets to know you because this is your first time on the show and 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 audience just uh so that you know jefferson is uh has only has been gracious enough to come on the show he's never heard the show before so he's not sure what he's uh he's he signed on for <laughs> but jefferson is a an actor um, you're, you're an actor. Uh, you are a part of the resident company of Everyman Theater, which is uh, here where I'm based in Baltimore, Maryland. That is correct. You are, uh, you, yes, you are. You are uh, a graduate of George Washington University. You have an MFA in classical acting. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? That is correct. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. That is correct. Um, you're also the founding, uh, you're a founding member of Galvanize, which is a national network for artists of color, which I, I, the, I didn't know that uh, prior to you letting me know um, just recently. And that organization for actors of color has been, um, you know, and it's been priceless in terms of what it does. Um, Galvanize has been fantastic in providing information um, in terms of networking. It's been fantastic in terms of jobs, in terms of class. It's just great opportunities for actors of color. And I want to take this time to thank you for being a founding member of Galvanize. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Um, it's also, just uh, uh, briefly, it's a, it's a forum for us to be able to have safe conversations about some of the experiences that we encounter uh, in this journey that we're on in, in uh in the arts, you know, you might have, you might have a voiceover actor who's getting a, a direction from someone who is non-black, telling them to sound blacker, but they'll use, you know, more nuanced language than that. But that's just an example of uh, of one of the things that we try to make sure that people know that they're not alone, basically, in um, in in their journey uh, through uh, through the arts and theater and film and television and all that. And the, and that's that's um, something that's always existed for for the black actor. That's nothing new. Um, unfortunately, the idea that someone else directing us has a better idea of who we are than we do. Yeah. And um, 
I'm sorry, what were you going to say? No, I'm, I, and it's, you know, in, in my view, the way that I approach it, it's all, it's all um, related and connected to the, the topics that we're speaking on today because of our experience, our unique experience and journey in, in America and uh, the things that we, the, the things that we uh, have to encounter and deal with and making a way out of no way and the shit that we have to deal with uh, that's quite unique to the black experience. And it's constant and it's complex and it's compounded. Um, And I just want to also give the audience um, before you, you became an actor and, and you've been an actor for over 20 years now, but you had a life prior to that. You were actually a former uh, Baltimore city police officer. And I, and I, I kind of laugh when I say that because that, that seems such a, a direct polar opposite of, of who I think I know you to be now. And you're, you're also uh, a juvenile probation officer. Is that correct? That is correct. I feel with the state of Maryland, but you know, you, I, I know that some people assume that uh, that it seems to be a polar, a very direct opposite uh, of what I used to do um, compared to what I do now and who I am now. But no, I, all these, my feelings about, um, you know, who I am and my identity and who I am in the world and how I'm viewed. And I used to get stopped all the time as a police officer when I was not, when I was in my personal car, there were a few times when I was even stopped on my way to and from to or from work. <laughs> so, you know, okay. being black is a full-time job. Being a police officer, it's a full-time is, job. you know, you take the uniform off. So that's, that's always been there. But, uh, uh but I, I do understand how people were like, what, how, what is that journey? How would, how did how did you go from that to this? So it's okay. I guess it's an interesting thing, but the elements of me have always been the same. <laughs> have always okay, and we'll unpack some of that. Um, the other person on the line with us is uh, a friend to the show, a personal friend of mine, uh, Ross Cooper. Ross, I again, let's do the sound check. Make sure you're here with us. <laughs> check one two. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Ross, you are you are a spoken word artist, a poet. You're also now uh, a podcast host, yeah. uh, co-host, actually. Uh, your show is called Yeah, I Said It. It is a show that you actually do with your son, um, Kane. Um, as far as I know, it is the first and only that I know of show with a black father and son giving perspective from the dynamic of two black males, generationally different, but um, similar in perspective. And the show, tell, tell us a little bit about the show and what made you decide to to do this, this podcast with your son and why it's important. Okay, well, my son and I, we always had these conversations and I, and I appreciate the the, the, the conversations he and I have about the world, about perspective, so on and so forth. Now, he's still in Baltimore. I'm down here in Dallas. And he just suddenly, out of the clear blue, was like, hey, Dad, how about we do a podcast? And now, initially, I had trepidation. I think I might have reached out to you and a few other people because my, my trepidation was, the, the, the issue was, as, as a dad, 
and not living in the same place as my son, I'm like, awesome. This is a chance for us to bond. This is a chance for us to connect, so on and so forth. But also as a black father with a black son, the rule was going to be like, hey, I know our ideas can be a little bit radical or militant, depending on who's listening. And I didn't want to censor him, but I also knew some of the ways that he thinks out of type of things that can get a black man killed. But come to find out, you know, side note, being a black man itself can get you killed. But I always say in the, in the intro, you know, this is the brainchild of my child. And, and it was just a matter of we're going to take the conversations he and I literally have as father and son about the world, about racism, about capitalism, and just put it to a podcast. And, and you know, we have light moments where we have great debate. We call it the great debater segment. You know, we were talking about the Avengers, as you heard, and things like that. But at its core, it's really just taking the conversations he and I have organically, sometimes set into a subject. And we try to show, like, hey, at the, you know, I've, I've said it, and he doesn't necessarily agree, and I don't think you agree with it all the time. I've said, personally, um, America has a class problem disguised as a race problem. But... <laughs> Okay. With, with that in mind, we try to say, hey, realistically, a lot of us have the exact same enemy, but we're so stuck in this racial thing that America has yet to address properly. We can't even get to how amazing we could all be collectively because we're so still divided in the racial aspect of things. And it, it's just not healing as fast as I think it should. But I don't agree those with things that. he and I diverge. He he's said that it is what it is. I don't think us and white folk are ever really going to gel. And I think, hey, if we can just wake some folks up, maybe we could. I, I you know, I don't agree with that. I don't I, I don't I don't agree with the part where you said America has a class problem disguised as a race problem. Absolutely <laughs> not. I think America has a race problem. Period. And it extends itself into other issues. But I think point blank period, the race issue is the most pressing issue that uh, America deals with. And and I think that the, the, the world for the most part deals with, but we, we are dealing with America tonight and what's yeah. happening. So let's talk about what the, what brought us to this conversation. So, you know, my listeners are all over the all over the globe. So I'm, I'm going to give a brief synopsis of the issues we're talking about tonight. Um, we are actually a, a one day um, out of what would have been the 26th birthday of Ahmaud Arbery. Ahmaud Arbery mm. was a black male, 25 year old black male who went jogging in his own neighborhood, mind you, uh, uh, February 23rd of this year. He went jogging. And while he was jogging, he was accosted and hunted down like an animal by a collective of white men um, who claim that he matched the uh, description of a burglary suspect for the area um, who they claim they were trying to just apprehend until the police came. But because uh, Arbery, Ahmad, was not cooperative and instead, from their claims, uh, tried to attack uh, one of the perpetrators that in self-defense, uh, they felt it necessary to shoot him down in the street like a dog. 
basically. Um, and if I and if I have that wrong, please correct me, uh, gentlemen. I, I no, that's 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 my my take on it. That's your take on it. Uh, okay, okay. So so that's the first case we're going to talk about. Um, the other issue uh, case we're going to talk about is one for uh, Sean Reed. And and you gentlemen are not as familiar with that case. Is is that correct? Correct. That is correct. Okay. And there's a reason for that. One of the things is that there's less sympathy for the Sean Reed situation because Sean Reed was actually running from the police at the time of his death. Mm -hmm. Um, He was, and and let me give a synopsis of that story. Sean Reed, a 21 year old in Indianapolis was in his car um, and he was driving and happened to be FaceTiming while he was driving. Uh, I don't know what the conversation was, why he chose to FaceTime, um, what the intention was in even starting the FaceTime. Um, With that, um, while he was live streaming and driving, he was being pursued by a police officer, a police vehicle. Uh, What happened was he gave chase, meaning he did not stop. it is quite obvious on the video that he was purposely um, engaging in um, in, in uh, trying to attempting to run from the police, drive away from the police. Um, I'm not defending that behavior, um, but he was he was live streaming. Uh, I think that in that, what happened was there were more there was backup calls, so there were it start what started as one police car chasing him, eventually. Uh, led to multiple police cars chasing him. I think that there it wound up being two or three other cars that chased him. Um, and he's he's talking to the the telephone, so he's live streaming. So he's he's talking the whole time, saying he's not going to stop. He's not going to jail today. I will say this: it does appear that he may have been under the influence of something. I'm not sure what. I don't know that for a fact. Right. Uh, the whole time he is. 21 young and silly so he's making a joke of this situation that he's not going to jail and that the police cannot catch up with him at some point obviously they've gotten closer and he makes the decision he's telling the his audience uh if you will that he's not going to jail and he's he's about to run so he Mm -hmm. jumps out of the car he is running with the phone. So this whole event, keep in mind, is being recorded. He's running away. And it's clear that he's running by the movement of the phone, the sound. Uh, while he's running, you hear um, the police officers yelling um, demands, commands to him. He's, not, of course, not paying attention. He's continuing to run and um, talk as much as he can to the phone. Um I think that there was some verbal exchange. I've, I've watched the video only one. I've, I've watched it twice. And I, I so I don't know detail for detail. Anyway, I'm going to make this short. Um, they tased him. Initially, it does not stop him. They wind up shooting him and killing him. Once he is down, the police step to him. One of the police officers can be overheard saying, looks like it's going to be a closed casket for you, homie. Um, there's some yeah. other discussion. That happens. Um, But when the police spokesperson finally gave the story about what happened, what happened, the claim was there was an exchange of gunfire. Um, I saw the video. Uh, That does not appear to be the case. 
So this is someone who was running from the police who had been in a police chase, gunned down. Ahmad mm-hmm. Arbery is a black man who was jogging, who citizens took it upon themselves to try and attempt to do a citizen's arrest because he looked like who they thought was a suspected burglar. Who they claim. Who they claim. Right. And so he gets shot down. So, okay, listen, my first comment to, I think, both of you um, when I asked you to be a part of this conversation was I wanted to talk about black men's pain but this isn't just black men's pain it's everybody's pain because i'm angry and i'm hurt and i'm 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 there's a part of me that's confused even though intellectually and because of just the the plain consistency of this i understand what is happening but i don't understand what's happening um and i i don't i don't understand the response so i said black pain you said something very interesting to me when I said black pain, Ross. You said you didn't you you didn't you didn't feel pain. We t- t- talk about what that was that you told me. You felt in reference to all of this. Right. When when you said black pain, it was like, "Oh. I I I guess this is painful because my immediate response, my first emotion when any of this happens, Going back to Trayvon, you know, in recent memory to now, my first, my first emotion, blind rage, just absolute rage. It's, 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 it's not the hurt. It's, it's, it's the rage of it all. It's, it's like, I owe you speaking to, to racist white America. I owe you now. You got another one of us and I'm pissed off about it because I also don't have faith in your quote unquote justice system. Actually, let me retract that. I fully have faith that you're going to try to bend this justice system built on white racism to your will. So I don't even have the satisfaction that, well, these folks are going to go to jail. They're going to pay for what they did because we've already seen this already happened in February. We're just now getting results. So it wasn't pain. My first reaction, just rage, absolute rage. But but, but in answering to something you just said, the white racist, um, white supremacist system, justice system, it doesn't have to bend. It, it's set up mm. to do what it, it has been doing. So it really Absolutely. doesn't have to bend. Wait, what are you saying, Jefferson? I- I, I'm just saying I'm I'm amen cornering that that's that's absolutely true, and the fact that we can it happens with such regularity and for and it has for so long that we know the playbook mm. upon uh, a, an event like this where they will demonize the victim um, for being just who they are and having the skin that they have wherever that it may be. In this particular instance, um, uh, the gentleman was just jogging through the neighborhood and these white dudes are, they see him and they start following him and give chase and corner her, corner him in. And so then shortly after that, you know, again, and it's worth, and Ross mentioned it, and I think you did too, uh, Bliss, the fact that uh, it this happened in February. It happened in February, and here it is mid-May, almost mid-May, 
and uh, and and there's been an, an arrest only two days ago, and that was only because because of the outrage and it the the incident being posted online. They had protected the shooter and his father, or I'm I'm not sure who. Uh, I'll say the shooters, the two men that were arrested. The gentleman who took the video, he was involved in it. Uh, he was part of, but but even beyond that, what's more, I use the word insidious and and uh, and outrageous is the fact that they were pre- protected very directly by the DA's office and the sheriff's department or whomever, but the law enforcement, the local law enforcement because of the familial ties to law enforcement down there. Uh, and that's, that's again, that's part of the American way. That's the system within which we're, we're dealing with. And we, we have always dealt with, they, they, they circle the wagons and protect their own for, from doing this or for, for having done this, this incident, this, this act. And that's the system that we're we're dealing with. Well, the father involved. Let's let's be clear. Let let's because let, we 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 know the story, but folks listening may not know the story if you're listening from the UK or, or from Canada. The actual two men involved in this. There is the father George McMichael and the son Travis Travis McMichael, and the gentle the I, I say gentleman, and and that's something I've got to stop doing. That's just a, a nasty habit because there's nothing gentlemanly in in dealing with. With these monsters that we're talking about uh the person who actually filmed the video roddy bryan has finally he's actually been arrested as well so we have oh all, he has okay. he has been arrested yeah all three of the men have been arrested um i find no comfort in that um just for the reasons that you spoke of because he, here's the deal the father george mcmichael uh is a former uh law enforcement officer if i'm not, if i'm correct He's That's a correct. Law enforcement officer, and and he was an investigator after he uh, finished with the police department, an investigator with the district attorney's office down so there. So he felt apparently. some comfort in doing what he did. He 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 felt of course he, he knew he was going to be protected. But here here's the rub. Here's the rub in all of this. Even if he had not felt, excuse me, even if he had not had that connection. I think what we need to talk about is the fact that white people tend to know and feel protected by the law anyway when it comes to killing black people. We saw that with George Zimmerman. And what happens to me is the George Zimmerman case to me has emboldened, along with the president that we have in office now, has emboldened white people to continuously feel like they can kill black people and have a, with, with, no, uh, with, with no impunity. So here's the problem with that is that we we have a direct connection now with this case these the the uh, the father being directly connected with um, the law enforcement collective in Georgia. Also, what you have uh, you have that and you have the problem of the statutes you have in Georgia the self defense statute. You also have a citizen's arrest statute. I don't know if those existed. Now, you you being a Baltimore City police officer, did, does do those statutes exist for Baltimore City as well? Are those national? I do not know. Are they state by state? Oh, I, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to, to give you a, okay. a complete rundown on that. I never, that's not something that I, I would have encountered uh, 
um, very directly over in the Eastern District in Baltimore, um, okay. especially back, back when I was on the job. Okay. But here's the problem with those laws, wherever they exist, is that for white people, white people are very clear. It's never said, it's not written, but white people are clear that those laws protect them. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. they give them license to kill. And that's part of the problem that we're dealing with that white people know that they can kill black people. It does not matter your connection to law enforcement. You don't need it. You have license. George Zimmerman proved that. So we're dealing with that issue. We're we're dealing with the issue of the cover-up now that's happened because we have the connection with law enforcement. And, you know, I hear both of you you, you, both of you are talking about rage. Ross, you talked about that was your initial feeling, not pain. Right. And I think it scares, there's a part of me that's scary, that's scared about the fact that you felt rage and not pain. And Jefferson, I don't know what your, your, your initial emotion to this was. I don't know if it was all of the above or, or what you were feeling. Yeah, it's all of that. Uh, you know, uh, anger, sadness, exhaustion, here we go again, all, all of these things. And, and it's, you know, it's on repeat. It, it, it just keeps happening and it will continue to happen um, in, a, in, in, in its way. There's uh, this thing that they are protected. They, they feel entitled and privileged and, and protected uh, when things like this go down. And it, even, even as simple, it's not simple, but uh, an example of this is, you know, the whole uh, white woman, Karen, or, you, you know, the, the woman calling the police on the family that had, was just simply having a, a barbecue. And was that in San Francisco a few couple years ago, whenever that was, um, those sort of things where the w- woman will get on the phone, white folks using the threat or the actual action of calling the police as uh, a way to control the situation, knowing this sort of history. Because it's been a tool for white supremacy, that's that's what this country was built on: using authority, using the police, using the criminal justice system as a controlling factor for for the uh, non-white people, specifically right. the black people, and right. criminal. It's weaponized. It's, it's weaponized. It's weaponized. Absolutely. Right. That phone call is, is, is to me, a, it's deadly force now. White people use calling the police as deadly force against black people. And that's got to be said and understood. And it's not about feeling. It's about knowing. There's a difference. If I, if I feel like I can do something, I may be unsure about that. It is without question a knowing that white people have that they can do anything they want to with black, up to a black person and get away with impunity. With That's and, right. With impunity. So I'm listening to you two very brilliant, accomplished black men. And I hear your rage. And in fact, I, I, even if you're not hurting Ross, I know because you're super, you're a super sensitive man. Right. I know that in the core of, of that, there's, 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 there's pain that goes so deep. Sometimes you can't even get to it. Not just you, but who we are that mm-hmm. happens with us. But now what? 
because there was this this very lovely attempt at kumbaya yesterday, the I run with mod that happened mm-hmm. all over the country. So we had people getting together, I guess social distancing as best as they could and and running, taking a jog. Uh, in memory of Ahmad on his 20s, what would have been his 26th birthday. Um, we had black folks doing it, white folks doing it. You, you, you have, you're you challenged listen, by that. I, I'm not, I, 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 I feel it. I, I don't see, I, I don't see the, listen, I'm, I don't feel like marching again. I, I wasn't motivated to <clears throat> run with uh, Ahmad, uh, not because I, I I didn't feel passionately about what is happening and, and and the fact that it was his 26th birthday, I was feeling all of that. But I'm at the point where I, I, I what it what the hell? Because I, here's my thing: I don't get why what black people are getting out of marching at this point. I guess it's the the having your voice heard or feeling that, like you're doing is, something. I think that's I a major a major thing that. Uh, that people are that's okay but one at of the end of the day after that march is after that run is complete after that march is complete and you and that that white person are done you know damn well you're going back to being afraid and you better not you once you've once you've done that run with your white friends in that collective for a mod yesterday those same black folks that left that that run they knew they better take their black asses home and get in the house and and be careful driving and look around and you better not attempt to jog again and you better think twice about jogging in your neighborhood because you could end up like a mod ross in fact you told me last night we had a conversation last night and mm-hmm. you told me you had just come in from a damn jog i and, and i was like what my first response to you was why would you be jogging at night right like as if you don't have the right to jog at night like why would you do that so listen i mean we we, i was gonna say at some point because this is where this gets very weird for me personally when i heard what happened and i I, but this is when the details first started to come out a few months back i typically jog first thing in the morning or any evening after work and you know until the clock changes it's dark either way so I make sure I'm wearing all white, so on and so forth. I'm going for my usual jog. It's nighttime, but I'm wearing all white. In the first part of my jog, there is no sidewalk. I got pulled over, quote unquote, by a cop and, and questioned and, and, and had my name ran for warrants mm. because I was out for a jog. Mm-hmm. And, and what got me was the, the passive aggressive nature that this cop sat there and tried to provoke me like every two seconds. So just, you know, just be cool, bro. Just, just be cool. Yep. You know, it's no yep. problem. Like, yep. why didn't you keep telling me to be I fucking cool? hate you. Like, are you anticipating me? Because to me, it's, it's, it's a, a passive admission. You know, I shouldn't be standing here. Well, why aren't you on the sidewalk? There is no sidewalk. Well, what you doing out here? I'm going for a run. You got ID on you? I'm wearing skin tight under armor with no pockets. Of course I don't. And I live on this street. So sadly, and this was the second mm. time I've been quote unquote pulled over while jogging. So when I heard about this case, Mr. Aubrey, I'm like, wow, I can't even go for a run. So to a certain degree, I have made peace with, now I've thought about carrying a weapon on me at this juncture, but I made peace with, if I go for a run, 
be it broad daylight, because the other time I got quote unquote pulled over, the street I run on is very wide. So I make sure I stay right up against the curb. Uh, two cops will need to tell me to get on the sidewalk in broad daylight. So I'm like, you know what? I've made my peace with the fact that something crazy could happen just with me exercise. And that's, 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 that's a sick notion. And I told my son this and also just like, damn moment. The first thing he says, well, at least you're alive to tell about it. And it is sad that that's where we've arrived at. And it goes back to what you just said. White folks call the cops either understanding or not fully understanding. I don't know that an encounter with law enforcement could very well be the end of our I think some fully understand that. I don't know if that materializes for them fully or they know it fully, which would make it worse. I, I I think many of them fully are aware of that. Because just as they're aware of, as you described it, Bliss, the, the power that they have the, uh, with the system itself and using that as a weapon or as a threat, uh, they're fully aware I, I believe of that, so generally too. speaking. I, I, be- I, I, I think believe. because I, I think when you see those encounters with, um, mostly when you see the encounters with white women, I think that it's most blatant in the encounters that we've seen with white women calling the police. I think that is that that is very apparent. I think that when white men accost black people, black men, they are looking for death a lot of times. They're not looking. They're, like white women are looking to to. And I could listen if you're white listening to this and this bothers you. You, I'm going to tell you to tune out now because I we're going to right. It's going to be all right, but I'm we're we're not we're not sugarcoating anything. I really believe that when white women call, they just there's a power trip there and they want to it's it's something that they want you to do. They there's some kind of control issue like the the woman with it I just you know, I want to control this park and who can be here and who can barbecue here. It's a I I or you're not in this bill. I want to know what your idea is. I want your information. I think it's more sinister with white men. I think white men intentionally try to provoke situations with black people because I think they're looking for death. Mm. I, I think they're looking for death. And I think that that's something we need to say out loud and come to terms with. The intention of death, I believe, with white men is there. I believe, and I know now, let me let me just give you a piece of information because you you we talked about what we knew of the case with um, Ahmaud Arbery. Um, Today it was revealed that George McMichael knew who Ahmaud Arbery was because he was part of an investigation of Ahmaud um, that had happened several years ago. So of course, as always happens, when there's a victim, it, it always comes yeah, out. Yeah, a record or he had, um, he had, if they some had sort of interaction had with the criminal justice system. Right, mm-hmm. right. Let's so, assassinate the character. Well, let's assassinate right the character. So, so let's 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 deal with right. So let's deal with these two parts first. So what always happens is we're, you're you're going to find out and circulate if you don't know. So Ahmad had two issues with law enforcement. One issue was when he was in high school, there was. Um, the accusation, because I don't know what the end results were, that he had brought a gun to a neighboring school, 
I don't know if he had been in a fight with some kids at the school. This is when he was in high school, um, had been arrested at the school for an arms charge. Um, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018, um, he had a charge for um, shoplifting. I don't know what the results were in either one of those situations, but I know that those charges are there or the accusations are there. They are on his record some kind of way. Right. Uh, George McMichael was involved in the investigation a couple <laughs> of years ago. So, so, and that was just, that was just released today. And that came from um, George Barnhill, who is a, who was a prosecutor or somehow involved in the case um, who has just recused himself of the case, but he released that information that his son, his son and George McMichael were involved in the investigation of Ahmad Arbery. So we, we need to understand how insidious and connected this, this collective oh, 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 is in this is. town in Georgia. So we're, de- so we're dealing with the fact that the two perps are father and son, okay? So you have the, the, the father who has a connection, direct connection with law enforcement was an investigator. Um, you have the DA who of course knows um, the father who was involved in law enforcement. We have the, the perpetrator. Oh God, this is getting confusing. But we have the son of the DA who was connected to one of the perpetrators. So we got all of the, all of the, all of this whole collective of people connected to each mm. other, and this one black guy shot down like a dog, and and we're supposed to be excited that there was an arrest, right? I mean, we didn't have these kind of connections with the situation with Tray- Trayvon and George Zimmerman, so and we didn't get any justice there. Oh. I I don't know how we're supposed to get justice in this situation. But by the way, I, if I can interject one other small sure. fun fact here, um. Just when you thought the person who leaked this was being a good Samaritan, apparently it's come out that the person who leaked it leaked it in hopes that it would clear yeah, them. I saw that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's an attorney. Let, let's be clear. He's an attorney. He's an attorney. Um, I don't have his name in front of me. He's an attorney. He's actually done the media circuit. And his reasoning was that he thought by what, watching... <laughs> By you watching these two white men, and three really, because I I, I think that the the man who videoed the situation um, is just as guilty. I've heard he's been arrested. Uh, he's he's been arrested. Yes, I, I. But but here's the thing: is that he the the attorney who released this footage thought that you would watch this collective of white men killing this black man in cold blood. Um with no reasonable um uh um sound sound excuse for what they've done um this whole thing about the burglary we know that was a lie so they thought he thought that you watching that that you would be able to see that and see a reasonable um um i can't even tell i'm sorry because i i'm i'm really at this point I, i i don't think i've been this um riled up about a situation in a long time and i'll share with the audience one of the reasons why i'm so riled up is that i have i i've shared this before but in 2007 i lost a brother to police violence in baltimore city Mm. 
So shot by a police officer. Running, he black and running in the rain. My my brother was running in the rain, so he was automatically suspect and wound up killed by a police uh. officer in Baltimore City. So these stories of Lord. you being an automatic criminal or you being suspect because you're black and in your you're in it, it doesn't even matter what neighborhood you're in. I mean, he was in his own neighborhood. My brother was in his own neighborhood. Don't matter what neighborhood you're in. Doesn't matter what's happened or not happened. You are suspect. So we've come to the point where with these videos, they 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 are so confident in in killing us that they think that they can show an insane video of somebody being slaughtered and that you should be able to reason why it was okay. I've, uh, yeah. The, no. the mind state, the, the, I forgot who, who came up with the quote, but it, it, start, it, it makes so much sense. The scariest place to be, it might have been Neil Hughley, the scariest place to be is in a white person's imagination. And, and I'm starting, I, I'm, I, I get why. Because like, just, just, just run that through for a hot second. A father and son go grab guns to chase down this black man. They bring a third person along to film the ordeal. On top of that, months later, let me release this just so people can understand why we had to kill this brother. And then for understand, the DA blocks the arrest. And this is all okay. Yeah. Okay, let me let me just say this to you. It, it's okay for white people because they're used to doing it. Why is it okay for you? And I'm saying to you, why is it okay for you? Because, and and I and I have to put myself in it. Why is it okay for us? Because obviously we must be okay with it because we all we do is march, well, and cry, and move. So. I mean, we we all we're, we're discussing this situation. We don't expect justice. So what now? I, I'm, what, what I mean, what are if you're if we're if we're this enraged and angry? I'm I've I've already told you I'm not going any more marches. Right. Not at this point in my life. I'm, I'm I've marched out. I've marched for Freddie Gray. I I I've marched for countless other. I mean, Mike. Brown, I've done it. I don't I don't want to go to any more marches. I'm, um Jefferson I saw you put a quote up that you 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 done dying. So what does that mean? What is that what what are, what are what are we what are we ready to do now? What are we doing now? Cuz I I I don't I hear a lot of us talking. I hear us talk. Sometimes we're not even making sense. Like I right. I I saw, you know, I I saw a quote from Mike Epps. Um <laughs> uh and I I realized we we we're hurting and we we are we are, there are so many emotions that surface when this happens and, and we don't know what to do with them. But in, in some of what he was saying, he made the statement that we've got to stop giving them excuses to kill us. What? And he what? said something. Yeah, I, I heard that. What? I don't, I don't, uh, he should have stopped. I'm about to put right my gaps in the same shelf with Erica Badu. Like, st stop playing, brother. Stop, stop. Stop. Okay, we're not okay. You get ready to open another door now with that Erica. <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 we're on the same show for this 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 victim blame nonsense. You know, but his reasoning for that is because black but people I, kill black people, white people kill us. I, I don't. That's wrong. That makes no sense to me. But you, you know, 
one of the residuals of the constant trauma is that you are confused. You don't know how to think. You don't know how to process. You, you, you don't know how to process reality. You don't know how to process pain. So what now? What, I, what are you, what, first of all, I don't know what you could possibly say to your son. And I'm going to let you guys answer this. I don't know what you say to yourself. Cause you just said to me, to, to us, Ross, that when you go for a, a jog now, that you have pretty much, and I'm, I'm just going to summarize what I, what I heard you say, you've just kind of summarized, well, I'm going to go jogging. I've already been harassed two times. I know that there's a risk to me trying to take care of my health, but it is what it is. I have to accept the fact that I might be harassed by the police and maybe killed, but that's what it is. Cause that's how we live in America. That's what I heard. You didn't say it like that, but that's, that's, that's basically well, what I heard. Well, yeah, because the problem is, um, and, and this is the interesting part about my son and I, and I, I have no shame in saying, so he and I are 19 years apart, just about a generation and me being born, I was born. I was taught you know, if you ever have a problem, police your friends. If you ever get lost, call a police officer, so on and so forth. But that's not true now. Right. I had a it's, ne- it's never been true. But... Telling my son that. And what we, what I was taught to tell my son initially falls under respectability politics. Don't dress a certain way. You know, yes, sir. No, sir. Be polite. Figuring these are the things that will keep him safe. And here we are. No, nothing Survival will still. keep him safe. So I don't, you know, I unsadly, like I said, like you just paraphrased, I have to make peace with the fact that if I go for a run, I may not come back. When my son and I talk, we end every conversation the same way. I love you. Stay safe out there. Oh, my God. You know, I I know it's I know it's true. It's just it's just hearing it. You know, I, 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 yeah, I'm sorry, Jefferson, were you were you going to say something? I just hearing that. No, I, I, and, you know, I, I think marching and all of, I I think you're using marching as uh, sort of a, 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 an all collective, um, not just literally, you know, going out there and marching, but, you know, what the point is, what to do now, what are we going to do to stop this or, or to the the sheer act of, of, of uh, Ross continuing to go out there and, and make your run, Ross. That's that's an act of defiance, not just defiance, but an act of I'm here. I will not be deterred from that. I'm still going to live my life. Now we do it with caution. You know the whole mask thing when it came out, and uh, you, you need to, you got to wear a mask when you're out and around other people, grocery store, and all of that. Of course, as a black person, as a, certainly as a black man, and I'm not a small dude. I have, I had to take pause. I'm wearing a mask as I'm leaving the house. Of course, uh, that, that makes, because I'm already, I already uh, know how I'm generally perceived. And then you, you put a mask on it. And what if I have a hoodie on also? So it's all of these things, but I'm not going to, all of these things happen and the trauma is there and it absolutely has, a residual property that's attached to us and that carries us forward. But that's already in our DNA from being brought over here and the history that we've endured as a people that's already within us. And that has, that has enabled us to be where we are now and to keep going. 
So we have no other we choice don't have any other but choices. to keep going. We, I mean, we, we have to keep going, but what about, I mean, there was a time where we, we had collectives like Black Panthers, where where there was a collective of Black men that policed their neighborhoods. Now, that wouldn't have helped uh, Ahmaud Arbery because he was in a neighborhood that I, I think was a little more mixed. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a Black neighborhood, but we don't have collectives of Black men who are saying, I, we're going to collectively get together and protect and 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 our streets and when police come in they got to deal with with uh, the the men of the neighborhood before they can just come in and whip our asses i mean you know the only sign that i've seen that that has given me some hope is that in michigan um the representative um uh sarah sarah something what is her name i'm gonna get her name but what happened was she was getting so much pushback because in Michigan, you know, that's one of those states where white folks are mad because they can't get the haircut. So (laughs) they're showing up on the, uh, you know, at the, at the legislative office that the state capitals capitals armed and she felt so threatened that she wound up getting a collective of black, black male, black male escorts to escort her in fully armed to walk her through Mm -hmm. so she could feel safe. Her name was Sarah Anthony, a state representative. Um, in Michigan. So she had a collective of black armed citizens, legally armed, walk her up into the building. That was her show of resistance. Like, I'm here. This is my job. You're not going to threaten me. And if it's legal for you to come up here with your guns, it's legal for these licensed black men to come as my escorts to bring me to work to make sure I'm safe. Right. Like, that to me sure. is is forward movement because yep. I don't think you. I mean, listen, we 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 at the time we're living in the time, that some of the most uncertain times we have ever had. We can't even we can't even deal with the issues of the coronavirus taking black men out more than any of the other collective. Um, it in a sort of peace without having to deal with this kind of bullshit that we're dealing with being two black men hunted down like dogs. So I I don't, I I mean, and as a black woman, I'm thinking black man, I I can, I can, I can, you know, I can march. I I have marched for you. I have signed petitions for you. I have cried. I have, I have challenged the system. I've, I've done the social media camp. I can't, I, I, I can't physically protect you. And and that is the you know here I am with gender politics, but it is that you are the war you are the warriors of the community. If I see you saying, well, you know, we've been here, we've been dealing with it for years, and I'm not sure if you're saying it in that way, but I'm hearing a sort of surrender to this in a way that makes me very nervous. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. I don't hear okay. that at all. I'd have to. I, don't that at all. I, I I go to one of my favorite Dr. King quotes: "A riot." Is 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 you know the voice of the you know the voice of the paraphrase and the voice of the unheard. It and is. I think at some juncture, it it has to be looked at like nothing's worked. Trayvon, we we all got skittles and hoodies. You know, Eric Garner, you know, I can't breathe T-shirts. It's it's always the thing that we you know that we represent to try to be. Nothing is working. But you know what does work? Hollow points. And, and that sounds drastic, but there's no other choice. Because I've always said another one of my favorite quotes, pain is the final arbiter of understanding. When logic and reason and negotiation all fail, 
Pain has a very nice way of making you understand where I come from. And like you said, this stems from the, the and I can't even say implied, but the impunity that ha- that, uh, with which that they get to execute, brutalize, and everything else since this country's foundation. So at some point, okay, look, you're not going to leave me alone. So now I have to take drastic measures so you understand there is a penalty for what you're doing. Because I can't trust the criminal justice system. You might get probation. You might walk like Zimmerman. So there needs to be a very harsh, fast penalty for what happens to us. And not burning down our own stuff. Funny how the attention would shift if we took that energy to, I don't know, the suburbs somewhere. I bet we'd be heard then. So and I, at, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. So I, I think it's high time. We, we need to, and, and, it's, and I think it's the innate fear, because as black people in this country, we have a different set of concerns. I am sure if we were a lot more financially secure, we wouldn't have certain worries about rioting about being in the streets and causing ruckus but sadly sometimes it's well i ain't trying to lose my job and that's a very real concern but we have to do something other than that something other than what is symbolic something other than than just seems like inertia there has to be a clear message sent that okay if you do this and i hate to get to an eye for an eye but i I don't know what else is left Listen, I, I, I'm saying all of this and I say it with reserve and there's a pain in even having to entertain the thoughts, but there's gotta be something that tells white people. And I say all white people, because even if you're not, even if you're a white person and I'm, who I'm speaking to the listeners, if, even if you're a white person who has not would not ever be a part of the incidents that we're talking about. For the sheer fact that your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your friends do it, and a lot of times you say nothing, you are complicit. The society that we live that we live in, oh God, that's the wine, that we live in allows you a certain comfortability that you, you you really don't deserve not 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 why we have to live in fear and there's always um some kind of impending peril around the corner for us that we we we, we can that can happen upon us at any time through no fault of our own that's not okay it's not okay and i i've kumbayad enough and i and i i continue to pray and i have faith and i have all of those things but i do understand at a certain point white people have to understand if you don't put down your guns we're going to have to pick them up pick up our own and i just you know jefferson you are real quiet so <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just, you know, I, and I, and I don't, I mean, maybe there's another answer that I don't know because, you know, even Martin Luther King at the end of his life said he, he, he basically had thought he had led his people into a burning house based on paraphrasing. But I mean, we, I mean, how much more of this now here, here's the thing. There are white folks who are really at this point, I think more than ever before 
making some real effort to try and understand they're listening and not talking. They're trying to really be involved in, in the healing. But I think that what people don't understand is that what that really means is that those white folks are going to have to be really uncomfortable for a while because they're going to have to continuously challenge the, the system that they live in. They're going to continuously have to reevaluate the privileges that they've taken for granted for so long in ways that they may not be ready for. Because we deal with so many microaggressions that they have no idea about that they're going to have to really see and be responsible for. And that's a heavy thing to have to say, I am wrong. The way I have lived, the way my parents have lived, the way I have raised my children is wrong. That's a heavy thing to take on. And I don't know that most people are really ready for that. I think I see some folks trying that I want to give. I, you know, I want to give credit because I, I, I've, I've seen folks try and I've had folks reach out to me try, saying, what can I do? What what can we do? What can I as a white person do to to recognize where I'm being privileged? Yeah, where sometimes I'm... that shit is exhausting, too. Speak on it, Jefferson, please, because I, I've spoken. Please well, I mean, just, you know, having having to also educate, uh, you know, I know I know this is happening to you, but, you know, Teach me, teach me, inform me of, you know, I, I'm I, I'm at a place where I, because um, I have had some of those conversations or been approached by, uh, I'll say, you know, allies as they as it's termed. Um, do you feel like they're who, allies? Uh, I, I just want I, let me let me pause you there. Do you do you feel like because I, I want us to be honest in this conversation? Do you really feel like you have white allies? Do you have real, it may be one or two, but do you really feel like you have any? Yes. Yeah, I do. Okay. Okay. But, but, but sometimes also there, there are some who are driven by their white guilt and um, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know where to place it. And, and there have been times when I've been approached and it's been right after, you know, something like this. And I'm like, I, I can't help you right now. I can't be responsible for you and me in this moment. I have to, I'm I'm processing my own shit. Ooh. So I can't um I'm not able to but but that's me. Uh and so but there are others, there are other people who look like us who are who will gladly take someone under the, you know, tutelage and come come with me and I'll show you what and that's great. I, I just am not at that place, uh, right? I'll say right now, maybe not anymore. I, I don't know, but um, <clears throat> there are those who are allies, um, and uh, I, I, I don't know which way I was going with that. But but well, the your exact you, you what you've expressed is what a lot of us feel or have felt um, is that you appreciate the 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 person who reaches out who wants to be an ally the white the white person um the or the non-black person of another race that 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 happens to who wants to mm -hmm. be an ally who wants to understand who wants to make effort but i i they i don't think that that person realizes how exhausting it is um 
And in one of the conversations I have had with my quote unquote white, white allies, uh, we were having a conversation about race and why I, I had decided to not come into a conversation, a chat room about something, some, some issue that happened. And I think that um, the conversation, I think that they were saying to me something to the effect of, yeah, I know you're probably afraid of, you know, people coming in at you and, you know, asking you and bombarding you or, 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 or dealing, having to challenge someone on this issue. What? I said, I, I had to answer them. I said, no, no, I don't, I don't have a fear about doing it. I'm just tired of doing it. I don't feel like doing it. And I, and right, I certainly right. don't feel like doing it in a way that I have to pacify anybody. I'm not, I'm not, now that's the one thing I know that I won't do. One of the reasons why I have this, this podcast and I, I, I let the guests know you are free to say and feel how you want is that I don't feel like, excuse me, but fucking sugarcoating anything, especially when I'm talking about these issues and I'm not going to. So if you want to be a part of this conversation and you want to come and you got to take it raw, you got to take the weight of it you got to take the responsibility of it. That's what that those are my rules. That if you want to be an ally and you want me to mentor you in that as it as it is, then you got to take it the way that I give it. So that yeah. that's my answer to it. But we're still at the point now of what next? Do I mean is it is it is it is it logical do you think that at this point that black folks at minimum need to need to think about those of us who do not carry legal firearms that we need to start carrying legal fire is that an answer oh that is absolutely I'm, I'm, that is absolutely a step in the right direction in fact when <clears throat> when the world starts to take better shape post pandemic whatever that looks like my next order of business because you know in texas i think I think you get more time for a bag of weed than you do actually having guns. Like they basically give them away. I am anti-gun. I'm born and raised in Buffalo, New York. So I'm, you know, I'm anti-gun. Not anymore. I understand now certain things are a necessity. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really coming down to if you're going to get shot at, are you going to shoot back? And I don't, I don't necessarily like that, but I now understand it's necessity. I mean, even beyond what just happened with this, from the standpoint of look how people went crazy for this whole pandemic. Now, I don't know how close to the brink we were, but we might have been, what, one delivery of a truck away in some neighborhoods before people really, before, you know, the social construct really started breaking down? And it's not over. Let, let me just interject that. It's not over. Right. So I think this, this pandemic has shown and this country's history has shown if you are black and you are not a felon, you need to protect yourself by any means necessary. And yes, we absolutely need our own. Black. I think there is one, for lack of a better point of reference, a black NRA. We need to have black gun clubs, black gun safety, and we need to have our own, like you said, go back to the Panther days. We need our own neighborhood watch because you damn sure, you know, to certain degrees cannot trust law enforcement. And we see now white folks, just some white folks is just going to do what they're going to do. So, yeah, we absolutely need to be get the strap. Short and sweet. Get the strap. What do you say about that, Jefferson? 
I think black folks ought to join the NRA, have their own gun clubs. I have, I was saying that I, I have a classmate of mine who graduated with me from Hampton in criminal justice. Um, and she, I think she was a federal law enforcement, a federal probation officer in Chicago. And uh, she's since retired and she does training. She does security, private security, and also uh, gun training for um, specifically for women, uh, even more specifically women of color. That's her, her target. Um, and she's all about that. And I've been following her on uh, on Facebook and online and all that. And she's, she's gotten written up in I think Black Enterprise and uh, a few other things. So it's it's starting to take, you know, it's starting to get some traction, that sort of thing. And and I, uh, I probably I may not have been a, a, a strong vocal a proponent of that sort of thing years ago, but uh, it's it's to the place where yeah we should be able to. Um, you see all the you see those demonstrations for in Michigan as you were mentioning in Michigan a few other states at the state capitol buildings with these open carry white folks who want to go get their, go to the barber and go get their nails done and all of that shit, all white carrying, you know, generally Trump supporters carrying Nazi flags and Confederate flags and Trump flags, which to me, they all mean the same thing, hate. And all these white folks getting all up in the face of security there at the, uh, at the Capitol if it were a different complexion, if they were black people with guns, and we saw this history dictates, we saw it with the Panthers when they stormed the uh, the state capitol building in Sacramento, and I think it was sixty eight, um, and it was shortly after that that California enacted these gun laws, which were which were supported by the NRA of that era because it, these laws shifted simply because these black men, black people stormed legally, carried firearms and stormed, I say stormed, they entered the state building. That's how things got changed. So if we had numbers, if we had high volume of number uh, membership in NRA and things like that, then shit would change in that regard as far as gun laws and things like that. Um, but also, yeah, I think if uh, white folks knew, oh, black people are carrying weapons uh, legally as as much as we are, there would be these second thoughts uh, at, at you know in some of these uh, establishments that have uh, open carry. These these folks, they initiate an an engagement of uh, intimidation because they're carrying and because they have history and the social, uh, the, the criminal justice system on their side. They have weaponized the laws to their benefit in order to intimidate and all of that. But it would change if we, if we if swarmed we, the rosters like that. And in, 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 in saying that, I think you both understand that with those changes would be additional bloodshed, of course. But I, I, I think that, and 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 correct me with, with um if I'm wrong, but I mean we're shedding blood anyway. I think I think that we're at the well, point I'm, where I'm, I'm certainly never I'm not an, a proponent for that. I'm not in, endorsing or uh, a civil war or. I, I'm not. I'm, oh, I'm not either. I'm just I, saying I'm, I'm that. Just stating my. I, I get it. I'm just stating where I am.
So I, I that's why I say, you know, before I was not so much a, a proponent of, you know, folks. I, I used to be a police officer and the only weapon that I had was my service weapon. I didn't, okay. I didn't carry, I don't have one now. Um, I, I didn't, I knew lots of police officers who couldn't wait to go ahead and get their, you know, a side piece and, and all kinds of weapons that they could just carry with them because they could and all that, that, that never, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't the thing that made me a man. You know what I mean? No, it doesn't and, make, and, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're, 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 we're defining I'm, men. Listen, I'm we're not, trying to preserve I, life. <laughs> I, I get that. I get that. Yeah, I, I know that we're life. not saying that, Hey, yeah. let's, let's go wreck some shit. The truth <laughs> is the fact that <clears throat> the fact that we, the country and the world ought to be thankful that we are the people that we are. And we, we are the, we have come through the history that we have because otherwise this motherfucker would have been burned down a long time ago. A long time That's ago. That's the truth of it. A long time ago. Totally. A long time ago. I, 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 and I, and let me clarify, I, I, I wasn't suggesting that we, I'm not suggesting anything really. I'm, I'm saying that when I'm looking at the situation, we have tried pretty much, we've, we've tried to kumbaya, we've tried to reason, we've tried to prove our, our worthiness. Kumbaya. We've tried to, we've tried proving our humanity. I mean, we have to remember we live in a country that didn't see us as human, three fifths of a human <clears throat> being, but not a whole human. At some point we were considered chattel property. So there is, there is DNA memory in that. There is systemic racism. There is systemic <clears throat> privilege that keeps the eye, even if we're not still talking about those things, the ideas of that are alive and well in so many ways. So I'm saying that we've tried everything else, but perhaps we've got to think about doing it in, in another way. And, and, and having guns and being armed legally is just one of those ways. And I, I, I say that with some trepidation. I, I'm, I've never had a gun. I've never had a stun gun. I've never even held a gun. Um, I, and I don't also, know that I ever, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, and I, I, and I don't know that I necessarily want to, but it had it, but even for someone like me and, and, and the women that I are in my collective, there are some of us who have never thought about any of this before and now we've had to rethink how we live and move around in the world because i mean it's never been safe for us here to be quite honest it's never been but it's but it feels like it's getting worse and worse and 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 maybe what we're what we're experiencing now is that we just have more ways of seeing we have the video we 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 have the you know the the instant visual of what's going on so it isn't hidden as much either way Either way, I'm tired, and I and we've got to think about other ways. Now, again, I, I'm I'm not suggesting that we we <clears throat> decide to automatically go out into the community and, and and respond in kind. That is not my suggestion. So I just so that uh, I know you guys understood it, but just so the audience yeah. understands, whoever's yeah. listening, who's who's highly in their feelings right now about it, if us even having this conversation, because there is there are that that one or two people. But you know, um, but coupled, coupled with all of that, I, I'm going to be very brief, coupled with all of those things that you ran down as far as those things that we've encountered in our history here and as a people and, and what we've had to endure, that's also uh, 
the strength of us too, because of what we have endured and here we are, where they have always continuously, and again, with, with what you just said, it's nothing new. They have continuous, continuously tried to kill us out, tried to kill us out, and, and here we are. Now, that's, that's uh, you, you know, and I know that's just a fact, and that's, that's a strength that we lock into that, that allows us to continue to move forward however way we move forward. That's all. Let me ask you this. Because we've been on this, we've had this conversation, we've been on this this call, this uh, podcast for an hour and some change now. And it, it is more of the same. I realize that it's more of the same. Black people talking about the situations. We, we don't, we, we, we're not going to come up with a solution in this podcast. Um, it is an expression of concern and an exp- a continued expression of frustration. My first question to both of you is, has, are, are you, has this, have, have these last two situations along with the quarantine, has this, has this changed you or changed your behavior or changed what you, I know Ross, you've already talked about the fact that you plan on becoming a licensed gun owner. Are there any other changes that have happened to you in this time? In, in in this time of what we're seeing with these these situations and the quarantine, because I think that that's added so much pressure to our lives and complicated it. And for many of us, it's seen the world differently during this time. I know I have. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it relatively brief on that one. I'll say this. Um, I really air on the side of optimism in most things. And I was optimistic. A lot of people would take this time, take a hard look at what's going on. And I mean, what's going on with, okay, we see all of these systems only benefiting a few. The criminal justice system benefits only a few. Corporations benefit only a few. And I figured we'd see, hey, this ain't working for most of us. Let's start reevaluating what we do. Let's start reevaluating how ineffective these systems are and what needs to be changed, what needs to be thrown completely away. The change to me is because with that optimism, the realism is now creeping in, looking at, you know, just stuff people are doing. There's a, a bigger swath of people than I thought that really want things to go back to the way they were. And in that that in that regard, the optimism in me, in humanity, in people, is dying a little bit more. And that that's the part I, I never want to let the the optimism, the belief in the human spirit, die. But just looking at what's going on and how many people are just the same, it's 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 dying a little bit. So that's the change. That's yep. the change that's happening. I just I don't know if I believe in people or people's ability to to break out and break down that which suppresses them as much as I used to. Like this is the perfect opportunity to say, eh, maybe capitalism ain't so good after all. Eh, maybe electoral college ain't so good after all. And none of, I'm just not seeing that happen. I'm seeing 
more money going to bail out companies instead of people, more people just seeking to be rich instead of equal. And I'm, I'm just like, we need each other. This shows you we on a very base level, we need each other. And, and you and know I'm just, that I'm not seeing you that know that what you're seeing that now. What is your response to that in terms of what how does how is Ross personally responding to that different? I, I and I thank you for giving the perspective, your perspective on how you you see this collectively affecting us all. I want to know specifically what now that I know that your perspective is different. What what changes in your behavior, or, or is there a change in your behavior? Because Honestly, of it? um, at this point, it's gonna sound weird, maybe, but I just want my interactions to be genuine and organic. So what I've started to do, I was drawn from all social media. I've learned that, that you know, I understand you control the narrative, you follow who you follow, so on and so forth. But you say I, that as a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, okay. The, the social media aspect for the podcast that still exists, and I gladly interact with those fans. But my own personal social media, with the people I've amassed over years, so on and so forth, I really kind of let that go because I want my connections to be more organic, where I can feel the love. And and it's like you and I talk on the phone, and and everyone I've spoken to, I've spoken to personally. And that right there makes me feel more connected and more grounded and restores the faith. So one of the things I've done is just start disconnecting the things that make me feel distant and disconnected. And okay. when I, my personal interactions, I just try to be, you know, cliche is it all, cliche is all hell, but be the change I want to see. Okay. Maybe I don't see a lot of people personally doing this and that. Well, let me show them how it's done. Let me show a little more love. Let me put a little more into the world and hopefully that'll rub off on somebody else. Okay. Okay. Are you, and I'm going to ask, I'm not going to go into this, but are you voting in November? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just want to, I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to get into that <laughs> about who you're voting for. Why? Cause that would be another two hours of us talking. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Jefferson, uh, do I need to repeat the question or do you, yeah. What is change? What? Okay. So, so in this time, we we're we're in a very um, uncertain time. So, with the uncertain times that we're in, anyway, and with what has happened with these two incidents with um, with Ahmad and with Sean, um, and we know because that that again is the reminder that all experiences for us are different. So while there's a quarantine and we got to worry, but we still, we don't get a break. We don't get a reprise from the racism and the violence. And I think for those of us who thought we were getting a little bit of a break from it, this is that? just why, who, why and who would think that? Why and who would think that? Well, it's just like we got lulled to sleep. It, it's just like we got lulled to sleep for two seconds because Obama was president. We thought, oh, I mean, I mean, in, in the way that it happened. So let me just ask you this. Has the, ha, ha, how are you different now? In, or are you different now? Has this, have, has, has this time frame between the quarantine and the incidents, maybe the incidents don't have anything to do with it. Has the quarantine and the, and the uncertainty of the times had an effect because we know we've already talked about 
what one of the things that we think that we need to do as a black collective moving forward. And that that is the possibility and probability of us considering uh, owning legal firearms, more of us being involved in self-protection in that way. What mm. other things are you doing or how have you changed in this time? Have, have you, is there anything that's different for you? Maybe not. I mean, maybe there's nothing else for you. I mean, well, there's, I, there's not a right I, or wrong I, answer to that. Well, yeah, of course. I, I've, I've been wondering that myself. I, I think um, I've been having these different conversations with uh, colleagues of mine, other artists and of, you know, what, what will our industry look like uh, moving forward? How will we, you know, whatever adjustments need to be made to earn a living? Um, uh, all, all of these things that's on my mind. Um, but that's, I'm speaking to, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly yet how this is mm. changing. I do feel there is a change, um, self-reflective, uh, reflective uh, globally, locally, you know, all of these things. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, the, the whole, um, the whole effect of what this will be, but I do know that there's something there is. Um, I think part of what has happened is there's been a laying bare of, of what this country is not just the country, but the world, but specifically the United States, who's expendable, who's not. And it's given me, um, I think, and others, a reflection on who's important in this country, what what essential is and all of that. So um, I'm trying to figure out where I am in that and what I can do to, uh, you know, just kind of move forward. So it's still that. a process of figuring it out. Basically, in, is in what some you're ways, yeah. But but it but it has made you more reflective of 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 where you stand. I'm 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 trying to kind of summarize what you're saying for the audience. It yeah, made that's you reflective about right. About your worth in this paradigm of okay, okay, okay. That's fair, and that then that's reasonable. And I I and and for myself, I, I I'm going to tell you, the best thing that I could figure out for myself in this is that I'm going to piggyback on what you said, Ross, is that it, it's made me in terms of relationships value, put, put, demonstrate the value of the relationships. Because I think that so many times we've taken relationships for granted and thought that they could grow themselves or sustain themselves without us putting in energy and effort. And that's changed in this time. Um, I think that one of the things that helped helped that in, 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 in an unfortunate way uh, is watching the posts of people who are have lost loved ones um, in this short amount of time. It has been alarming for me. So to see that we're living in a time that we're all fighting against a, a, a pandemic, a disease that does not care, about um, who we are, even though we've heard the numbers have have affected Black folks more than other folks. I, I, and I've talked about this on other shows. There are things that um, that have affected our systems that we can sort of control. So part of what my, my commitment 
um, has been is to give as much information as I can to folks, everyone, but specifically to black folks on how you can control the fix and make that better and to arm yourself to protect yourself as much as you can in this time from this pandemic. Um, the other thing is that that just in allowing folks to express their feelings and to have these conversations out loud in ways that are not, you know, you're, we're not hitting, hitting, hitting on the computer and, and in these, these um, chat rooms where we're just looking at words. I'm hoping that in hearing your voices and hearing your pain and your anger and your angst, that somebody will be motivated who can to do something differently that'll have a different conversation than maybe they've not had with their their loved one, their their spouse, their child, their parent. So that's my that's my contribution and that's how I'm different. I have a different commitment now to getting information out that is corrective and healing, hopefully. Mm. So I thank you both. Um I don't know if you both can hear me. I sure hope you yeah. can. But well, I, I thank you. Are you you can hear me, Jefferson. Can you hear yeah. me? Yeah, can you hear oh, me? Oh, you can. <laughs> I can. Yeah. I can. Um, and I, I thank you both for, for hanging in there um, throughout the sound glitches and, and the, the, the problems of the mechanics of these uh, online platforms. And I thank you for, for being raw and honest and brave in this conversation. And I, I invite you both to come back again. Absolutely. To have more conversation, it's been I've great. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and, and by the way, for... I was the only. Uh -huh. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just saying thank you for you know helping uh, put this uh, put this out there. I needed to put this somewhere, so I appreciate that. It speaks to what you you were contributing yourself. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and just to let the audience know, because I, I'm always letting them know, I was the only one drinking tonight. I had <laughs> my audience waits to know that I'm drinking. I, I I was drinking. The two gentlemen on the line, of course, that you know, they had me drinking by myself. But I was. I have a, a uh -huh. white blend tonight that's that's helped mellow me through this, and uh, <laughs> along work. with my um. And it worked. And thank you again. And uh, audience, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Everybody Loves Bliss. And if nobody's told you today, I'm going to tell you I love you and I want the best for you. Bye-bye.